0: Another day, another dollar, makes you wonder where your money went, you can scream, and you can Hi folks, holler, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival God. Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough... Or even if they don't dictate it, is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, for my personal mobile studio, my 2006 Jetta diesel TDI. What's different today, folks, is I have my son Matt driving. I am not driving, so I can actually pay full attention uh, to uh, to the show, which is unusual for me. And uh, what that means is uh, I can actually look at my BlackBerry and tell you with confidence today is Monday, July 13th, two thousand 2009, and what we're going to do today is another listener question show. And uh, the reason we're going to do that is I can actually sit here and read the questions off my outline instead of glancing them at them out of the side of my eye. So it's a good day to do these. Um, before we do that, though, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. As always, when I do our housekeeping, I want to remind you to support our advertisers. Uh, Today's advertiser of the day is Tactical Response Gear, James Yeager's operation. Uh, You can find all of our advertisers in the right-hand margin of our website. And uh, just a quick reminder, as always, my advertisers are not there just because they uh, are willing to spend money to be my advertisers. That's step one, is to tell me that they want to be an advertiser. I do not proactively sell advertising. I've never contacted anyone and said, I want you to buy my advertising. So they come to me, they say, we've looked at your advertising program we want in. I then put them in front of my moderators on the forum. The moderators look at them if they see that there's any kind of problems with service or delivery or any kind of bad press about them that can't be answered. Uh, if more than two of my moderators or two or more of my moderators say, I don't feel good about this guy, they don't get on the site. So they're all personal endorsements. And uh, I think that's important. I think it's part of what they pay for. It's something you should know. Do you see an advertiser on my site, I personally vouch for them. Um, and with James it's easy to do. He has some of the best equipment available and he has some of the best training available as well. And uh, the man's resume uh, reads pretty well as well. He's been all over the world. He's dealt with uh, different tactical situations all over the world. So avail yourself of some of tactical responses training whenever you get the opportunity. Uh, next thing, I want to send out an invitation once again to join our forum. Our discussion forum is probably one of the best forums available online on any subject definitely on preps uh preparation survivalism and, and all things that uh, would relate to modern survivalism we do have rules at times you may uh, conflict with a moderator just accept the moderation and the guidance you'll stay within the rules and i think we'll have a great experience for everybody if we continue to do that um next i wanted to remind you guys again uh last week or the week before i guess whatever it was somebody put up a video and all it was is a piece of a show where i told. The story of the grasshopper and the ant. And they put some slides in it with a bunch of ants and a bunch of grasshoppers and I thought it was pretty cool. I'm going to go ahead and put a link to that video again in today's show notes. You might want to check that out. Um, Next, if you think the show's worth more than 20 to $0.25 an episode, depending on whether you do annual or uh, monthly, uh, consider joining the member support brigade. You'll get exclusive content only available to members. You can find a link in today's show notes and a banner, as always, for the member support brigade is in the right Hand margin of our show, and uh, that'll help support the work we do here at the Survival Podcast with a contribution of either $5 a month or $50 a year. And again, if you do the yearly $50 a year uh, thing, it's, it's slightly under 20 cents an episode to support the show. All right, um, one last thing. Uh, my calls have gone down, but it's probably because I have stopped telling you guys about the number and reminding you about it. If you ever want to call it a question or a comment, and hopefully get it played on the air, and I do shows like that about once or twice a month, uh, you can use my toll-free number, 866-65-THINK. Again, 866-65-THINK. Leave me your comments, questions, suggestions, etc. You get about two minutes to do that before the system cuts you off to keep my long distance inbound about 800 charges down. So with that, the housekeeping is done. We are at four minutes. The first minute wasn't really housekeeping, so it's under three. That's what I like. Uh, let's rock on with what the show is about. Today, which is your questions on all things relating to modern survivalism, modern economics, etc. Some of you guys that get tired of the gardening stuff, you'll be happy today. There's not a single gardening question. Didn't plan it that way. I just pulled them out in uh, the order that they were sitting in in the folder. There did happen to be any of this time, but there are some really awesome questions. And the first one, you know, lines up with why we have a phone number like eight six six sixty five think because it makes you have to think. Guy writes in, he says, hey Jack, look, I understand. Understand your views on debts for people, for consumer level debt, credit cards, etc. What about debt in business? In other words, what if you're borrowing money? Let's say a small business loan, or you have an open line of credit in your business, so that you can always make sure that you make payroll, things like that. You know, what what are your thoughts just in general on debt? in business. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, just because you're in business doesn't it make just debt okay. It also, I think there is a place for debt in business beyond the way that there's a place for debt in the home. But we can make some analogies here. In other words, if you told me, Jack, I'm going to go out and buy a house. I don't have the cash saved to buy a house yet. I'm going to stay out of credit card debt. I'm going to pay down my mortgage as fast as possible. But initially, I'm going to take a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage because that's what I know I can afford if I get an trouble and that's uh, the only way i'm going to be able to own a house i'd say great i think that's a good idea as long as you've made all the numbers work and you have some emergency funds and you know how you're going to pay for it go out and buy your house if it's a house you want so debt works for the consumer when it's to get something like real property purchased for the right amount for a sane value with some money in reserve that if you lost your income you can continue to make the payments for it. let's say at least six months no problem with that With a business, um, you're not really in the same situation. The reason that you're willing to go into debt in business um, versus why you go into debt in a consumer is not so you can buy something, but so you can make money. What this requires is um, really astute accounting. You need to have a good accounting team, or at least a good accountant if you're a small concern, on your side before you take any debt on. I also think that a business needs to prove itself viable before it takes the debt on. In other words, maybe you take a small loan to get off the ground, very small, something you could, you could cover personally if you had to. And uh, maybe you need to do that to get the business kind of started uh, in a way that's at least somewhat comfortable. We're talking about a very small amount of money here. Once the business is up and operational on a shoestring, you're bootstrapping it, and uh, you start to actually sell some product or service, and you actually start to generate some revenue, then you have something to forecast against, and then you can put a rule in place. Now, my rule in place is that a business, especially a small business, the type of thing that most of the people here might run one day or run today, um, would be that no more than, let's say, 10 to 15% of your cash receipts should ex- uh, on, a, on an annual basis should exist in the form of debt. So if you have a business that does a million dollars in billing, I don't think you should be taking yourself into more than $100,000 in debt per annum, and you should be repaying that debt before you take any more. So it doesn't mean you do a million dollars this year, you take $100,000 in debt, you keep the debt, you do a million dollars next year, and now you have $200,000 in debt. It doesn't work that way. okay? And until you raise it to a $2 million dollar, Concern you never have an annual revolving debt uh, number over 200k, and I think that's even a bit high. But there are places where, if you know what you're doing, you know why you're doing. You're using good forecasting, etc. Um, it's 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 a viable option. The big thing is to make sure that you have a reason for the debt. You're not just borrowing it because you can, and that'll let you hire more people because more people will mean more business because it doesn't mean that, right? You have to have some. sort Sort of a forecast in play that says, hey, if I take this additional money and I invest it this way, this is my expected revenue. Then have the revenue. In other words, take 50 percent. Say I was only 50 percent successful out of that piece of revenue. Could you pay the debt off in a year? If you can, then that's how much debt you can take on. And uh, and keeping still under that 10 percent bogey with the added revenue. It, it's a complicated process. All I'll tell you is that you know what killed GM. What you know what killed Chrysler was debt. Now, a lot of that debt was self-inflicted debt on the inside due to the unions and what they did, um, but it's still debt. And debt will kill a business faster than it will kill an individual. And another thing to understand is just because debt is being leveraged to make money, as my son tries to kill me here, it, it just because debt is being leveraged to make money doesn't mean that, one, it will be successful, or two, it's a good idea. If you want to know one of the biggest causes of the, of the Great Depression, the original Great Depression in the 30s, the stock market crash in 1929, it was debt. There was a new kind of debt that came out. Today it flies around like crazy. Everybody, still still flies around like crazy, um, but it was called margin, and it was the ability, if you only had, let's say, $10,000 to invest in the stock market, you could go out and borrow another 10000 to invest in the stock market, so you would buy $20,000 worth of a stock, when you sold it for a profit, you would then pay off the loan. Well, the stock market had been overinflated by all this borrowed money, and as part of a plan, if you believe a little bit of the conspiracy theory, and I do happen to on, on this one, um, all the lenders called their called their loans back. So all the people had to sell their stock to get the money out to be able to repay the loan. And when that happened and everybody started selling, it's the same thing that happened last year when everybody panicked and started selling out in our market. When they should have been selling out a year earlier, it drove the market down. So debt can cause problems for anybody, best I can do on that question. Same guy asked me, what are my thoughts on yurts for a bug-out location? Now, if you're not familiar with a yurt, it's a great big round building made mostly out of a wood frame and cloth walls. And, uh, in other words, it's a really cool tent. And some of them look very simple and are something you can load up in a pickup truck and haul to the next location and set up in a matter of hours. And some of them are today are set up in a permanent status. They have full kitchens, bathrooms, etc. inside them. And when you're inside them, you would think you're inside a five-star luxury hotel. So they run that extreme from one to the other. For use as a structure on your bug-out location, I would tell you I think that they're okay. I think that they have a place, and I think it depends on where exactly you're located. They can be kept warm, and they can be kept relatively cool, so I'm not that big on, you know, whether that's the case or not. The thing is, they are not much of a structure to protect you from any kind of uh, an assault, let's say. So if you are worried that in a shit the defense scenario you may have to defend your home from invaders, so to speak... Um, canvas does not make a good bullet blocker I think that's the extreme that's the least likely scenario but if that's something you're prepping for obviously you have to take it into consideration it may not be the best thing also um, I'm not familiar with them enough to talk about their longevity but they seem to have a very uh, long lifespan so that seems like it would be cool um, and and, and reasonable for for use as at least a temporary structure at a a bug out location. Uh, you get a lot of efficiency with a circular space, believe it or not, so they have an efficient use of space. I don't know, man. That's one of those things that's really up to you. Um, I think they definitely have potential. I would long-term want a more solid structure, but I wouldn't fault somebody for even living in one. I've seen some that are just really awesome that I wouldn't mind living in, uh, but if it's my money and I'm investing, and as much as it costs you know, to go beyond the temporary structure, to get one of those full-tilt, beautiful wooden, interiors, all the comforts of home. By the time you spend that much money, you can build a reasonable site-built house uh, as well, because there's a lot of expense in all that interior. The shell is only so expensive to begin with. So when it costs less, yes, but for the same money, you can make a really awesome yurt. You can make a more than acceptable home uh, that's site-built, maybe with uh, brick walls and a little bit more defensible, and uh, with more insulation properties as well. So, fine for you if that's what you want. No problems, no issues with them, but not really for me. Next one is uh, what do I personally use for podcasting? I've talked about this before, but I see the question all the time, and it's an easy one to answer, so I thought I would talk about it today briefly. Uh, my setup is extremely low-tech. I have a very old beat-up Plantronics, Plantronics headset uh, that's designed to uh, plug into a computers for like voice chat applications. It has two modular plugs. One's a mic One is for uh, the audio side. I plug the mic side into uh, a small digital voice recorder made by Sony. If you actually care, the model number is ICD P620. Uh, That would be India Charlie Delta Papa 620, and uh, it is an inexpensive device under 50 bucks, and uh, has a nice record button, a nice pause feature that I use often that you never notice. And uh, other than that, that is what I used for recording the show. Uh, I then downloaded it onto my PC and it downloads as a .wav file. I import the .wav file into a program called Sony Vegas. Vegas is a very high-end audio-video editing program. I probably would not have purchased it just to do this show, but I have it for the media work that I do on a day-to-day basis, so it was logical, since I already knew it, to use it for that. I would probably use Audacity for editing my podcasts if I didn't have Vegas, and Audacity is free. You can download it for free from SourceForge. Um, The the intros and the exits with the music, those are just little segments that I cut out using Sony Vegas uh, from a place called Podsoft, uh, Podsafe Audio. The song is by a guy named Bob Moss. He's got some really cool songs. And the song, even though it sounds country, folks, is really kind of a blues song if you listen to the whole thing. And that is really my entire setup. From there, I upload it using an FTP program to a file on uh, a server that's dedicated just for the audio. It's also... It's the server that I uh, run member support brigade on, so it is a different server than the site. Just because there's so many downloads a day, I need some dedicated bandwidth for that. And um, I use WordPress as a blog platform. That's where the, the Survival Podcast, or the Survival Podcast, depending on how you say it, .com is at. And um, I use a, pod, uh, a WordPress plugin called PodPress uh, for my WordPress blog to uh, manage my podcast. Uh, my podcast files and things like that. So that's it. It's It might sound complicated if you're not into this stuff, but it's pretty low tech compared to what most podcasters use. And everything I said about the blogging platform is not even necessary uh, if you wanted to do your own show. Um, if you want to get started doing your own show and you don't know any of this stuff, I mean Blog Talk Radio is probably a good place to start and you don't really have to have any technical knowledge at all. If you can use a phone, um, you, can, you can make podcasts on Blog Talk Radio. I've said in the past, though, my opinion about that is if you want your show to be big, if you want to really build something out of it, if you want your own brand, it's not what I would choose. I would choose to own and control everything, even if I had to pay somebody to set it up for me. Uh, Let's get back to more survival-oriented questions. Guy says, um, let's say you don't have the option to buy a bug-out location, or at least not yet. You're going to live in a city, a town, somewhere in suburbia. You're going to buy a house. What should you look for when you buy a property in a suburban area And uh, for sustainability and for eventual emergencies? Uh, Number one, just about every major city in America has a great big loop going around it, a bypass, if you will get outside of that loop. I don't care where you are. If there are mass evacuations, for any given reason, you will be able to get the heck out of where you are a hell of a lot faster than anybody inside that loop, and that's universal from the loop that runs around Philadelphia to the loop that runs around Dallas-Fort Worth, Houston, Texas, Los Angeles, California. Get outside of the loop, number one. Number two, it probably makes sense, except for, you know, deciding to be close to work or things like that, to be on the side of that loop that would be your primary method of evacuation for the uh, disasters that are most likely in your area. In other words, if I were going to live down in the Houston area and I was going to be commuting into Houston every day and I wanted to be somewhat close to Houston, I would want to be on the north to northwest side of the Houston loop, The six, I think it's 610 down there. All right Now, I actually, I like the properties that are down closer to the coast a hell of a lot better, uh, but that, if I was going to do that, I'd be way outside of Houston. I wouldn't be living in Houston and commuting from down there, and I would have to think about other things for hurricanes, et cetera, to get out of there. But that's one of the big things, get outside the loop. Number two, look for land. Don't buy a postage stamp lot. And I don't mean you have to find a really big piece of land. All I'm saying is look at your neighborhood that you're selecting. Look for the largest lots in the neighborhood. A bigger piece of land than the surrounding houses. So if all the the houses, let's say, had a tenth of an acre, and then you found a fifth, that's still a bit small for me. That's not really what I would want. But it would meet that criteria loosely anyway because it's twice the size of all the other lots in the neighborhood. That's going to add value to the property when you go to resell it because when you look at like homes, you have more land, you have more space. And you can change so many things about a home, but you can't change its size and shape. The next thing you want to do is you want to look where is the crime in the community. Located. Just because your neighborhood's relatively safe doesn't mean that it's a good location. You need to determine, and you need to be very careful about this. Are there other places um, near you that are kind of bad neighborhoods? That that, that 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 neighborhood is very close to, let's say, walking distance from, or even a short drive. If it's one or two miles. Um, from a really bad area, you probably don't want to buy there because unless they're revitalizing the bad area, odds are it will slowly expand and spill into your neighborhood. And remember, the criminal that lives in the crappy neighborhood is more than happy to go a mile away to steal from you. So I would stay away from being very close to you know kind of crappy, uh, downward areas. Do not buy a home in a neighborhood that is beginning to go into decline. In other words, it's peaked already. It's had its day in the sun, and it's starting to decline. Generally speaking, once the neighborhood starts that decline, unless the community intervenes, it's less than 20 years before it becomes that crappy area. And it's amazing how fast that downward spiral can take effect. Um, I would also, to, you know, today look for things. If you're looking at new homes, you know, look at the appliances that come with it. Look for Energy Star appliances. That makes a lot of sense. doesn't sound very survival-oriented, but it, it does make a ton of sense. Really consider not buying a two story home. And uh, you might find it, you know, odd that I've purchased three two-story homes in a row, um, but the the issue with two-story homes, if you want to eventually go off-grid or uh, do partial energy, uh, 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 generate your own energy, you're looking to maximize insulation, two-story homes are crappy for that. You want to put a radiant barrier in, you have a one-story home, you have a large roof surface area compared to the surface area of the home. When you go to two stories, you have more surface area of the house than you do. Roof and the value of things like roof insulation and radiant barriers go down. So really, consider looking for a one-story if that's important to you. Um, there's a lot of different things to take into account. The big thing is in all of this that it's personal. It's hard for me to put fast, hard rules on this because what you want and I want might be vastly different. I would say look for land that's gently sloping to flat. I don't want big hills in my backyard because it makes it harder to garden. If I have five acres, not so much of an issue. But if I only have a tenth of an acre, a fifth of an acre, even a quarter or a third of an acre to work with, the usage of the land becomes more critical. Look at the neighbors that you're going to have. How do they keep their homes? How do they keep their property? Do they seem like yuppies that are clueless, or do they seem like people are a little bit more down to earth? If I come into a neighborhood and every third or fourth house has a fruit or a nut tree or something, something in it, that's going to make me feel a lot at home. Uh, So take all these things into consideration, but some of the big things to watch out for are again, those bad neighborhoods close by. Uh, Is there any potential for any annexation by the school districts to occur if you're kind of on the outskirts now? uh, Look at the property taxes. It's something a lot of people don't pay too much attention to. What are the current property taxes? And what is the current assessed value of the home those taxes are based on? In other words, the home might have been built 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, it might have got assessed at $80,000. So you look at the property taxes, and they're $1,200 a year, and you go, "Not in love with it, but hey, no problem." But the house now is for sale to you for 140. It's worth 140. It's appraised for 180, let's say. But you know it's worth. It. You're, you're comfortable. Now, don't have a problem with the price. It, it, it's it's worth that in that neighborhood at that time under every circumstance around it. But the day you buy it for 140, trust me, your county tax assessor knows that. And in most Instances will immediately reassess the value at the price you paid, and if you fight it in any way, he's going to say if it's not worth 140, why'd you pay 140 for it? So it's not the same as when they raise it arbitrarily on their own. So a lot of times when you're looking at a 15 to 20 year old house, they may have property taxes locked in for any given reason. That the day you buy it, that'll go away. So that's a big gotcha to watch out for. Uh, next thing, I'm going to give a short answer to this one because we've talked about it a lot. Guy says, what about? out to, like, state forests, state parks, national forests, camping areas, lesser known parts of them, things like that. Um, no, in 99% of the situations that people would ask that question for. Usually when people ask that question, what they're saying is, hey, if the, if the whole thing breaks down, if we have the complete Mad Max scenario, does it make sense to go to the national forest? No, because the local people that live in the area are going to control that land. Right? You don't think people live there, people live there. And people that grew up there are going to be the ones that are going to have the most amount of control, and you don't know their intentions, whether they're going to be good or bad. And there's going to be a lot of other people with the same idea, there's going to be a lot of big crowds in those, those locations of the semi-prepared, right? The guy that's got camping gear, knows how to hunt and fish, never really planned for disaster, that's his, well, if it happens, I'll just go off and live off the land. Those guys are going to be there in droves, and there's not going to be that many resources available once they show up, and there's going to be a lot of conflict and a lot of agony if you choose that as your place to go in most scenarios. Now, let's say you have no place to go, nobody to stay with, nothing, no, no, you can't figure out what to do about it, and you live in South Florida. And a hurricane is coming. And you don't have enough money to go to a hotel. And you pack up all your camping gear. And you drive up into the North Georgia mountains and you find yourself a nice camping area. And you set up your tent and you camp there until the hurricane, in a localized or regional disaster, is cleaned up enough to go back home. Absolutely makes sense. I think it's probably a good low-cost uh, backup option for a lot of people to have. But in the true major national level or bigger should hit the fan, not going to be the place you want to go. There's been plenty of discussion about it, and in the end, most people tend to agree it's probably a bad idea, if not an awful idea. Going on from there, the next question is, uh, and I just love this one, Um There's a lot of hysteria still going on over swine flu. Of course, now nobody's worried about the flu itself. Um, At least most people are. Uh, They're not in hysteria about the flu. They're not running out standing in lines to buy flu masks uh, or anything like that. But they're all convinced it's an evil government conspiracy the government created the flu and they have a toxic vaccine they want to poison us all with and they're going to have mandatory vaccinations for the flu this fall and they're going to if you don't get your vaccine some shock troops going to show up at your house drag you kicking and screaming from your house point a gun at your back force you into a line and require you to have a vaccine. Folks, what do I think about that? Two words. Bullshit ain't going to happen. I don't believe that if there is a vaccine developed from the swine flu, it's going to be a toxic poison designed to kill you. I believe it may have very serious side effects because our idiots are, you know, sure that they can control nature and are rapidly working probably too fast. It's a replay of the 70s swine flu and uh, there have been people that because of complications from a vaccine have had very serious side effects. So it's not something you know, unless people are dropping over like flies from this flu, not something I'm going to be lining up to get. That said... This mandatory vaccination stuff. You guys that listen to Alex Jones, and you listen to every word now, again, I like Alex. I like what he has to say a lot of times. I can usually listen to about 80% or more of it and go, well, even if it's not quite what I think, yeah, you know, he's kind of on to something there. The 20% that you guys don't filter, start filtering it. Please stop believing this stuff. The government's not trying to kill you. Now, let's say I put my tinfoil hat on for a second and say if I was the evil government, and I wanted to kill you with a flu vaccine, would I do it as a mandatory in, uh, vaccination? No. That would be dumb. That would increase the number of sheeple that would wake up and go, wait a minute, what do you mean I have to do this? What I would do, if I wanted to orchestrate this as some evil ha <laughs> evil overlord taking over the world, is I would type the nuts out of the flu. It's, 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 it's mutating faster than we expected. Oh, it's going to kill us all. Oh, and I'd have... Just like we had, but like ten times worse than that. And then I would say vaccinations are currently available at the following locations, but supplies are extremely limited. Please, only the young and the infirm and the obese and the health problems show up first. And then once those people started showing up, I would say we have a limited additional number of vaccines available on a first-come, first-served basis, and that would create riots of people fighting for their vaccine. I wouldn't worry about you, the one that doesn't want it. Okay? Because people would flock in droves if you ran that formula. Now, if you see that formula being run, you might really want to think about whether the guys with the foil hats on might be right or just wrong about the application. But the day I hear a mandatory vaccination order, I'll change my tune on this. Until then, all I see are a bunch of people hyping natural health products, trying to use this as a scare tactic of their own. I think most of them even believe it. But they're using it as content to sell their crap. All right, or they're using it as hype, or they're using it as spin. And some of the people that tell these stories about, I know the government, this, I have inside information that, folks, some of these people are mentally ill. I've seen and I've heard what some of these people have to say. There was a lady on the Power Hour back when this thing started, and and, and it, when you listen to her, I put a link to it back in that show, see if I can find it for you guys sometime today. And when you listen to that, you just went, this person is schizophrenic. Because you can hear the belief in her voice, you could also tell, There's no way this shit happened. No way at all. But she believed it because she had this megalomania that made her believe she was so important that she would actually know this stuff. Please keep your logic hat on and take the foil ones off when we're dealing with stuff like this. Um, Another guy asked me a pretty simple question says, I got an underground pool. I actually want to restore the, the, the land space. I want to be able to grow stuff on it or just have it as open space. I don't want a pool anymore. But I like the concept of saving water. What can I do to be able to use the pool to store water but get rid of the pool? Well, one of the biggest expenses in having an underground cistern put in is um, the hole having the excavation done. So I would get somebody that's experienced in putting uh, cisterns in. I'd have them come over, and I would think about not using the pool as a cistern, but using it kind of as a vault, getting the biggest cistern you can that will fit down into that vault, putting it down in there, um, destroying the edges of the pool uh, down maybe a foot so that the topsoil can be restored onto it, put your cistern and your water catchment system down into there, and then just cover it over. Pretty simple, pretty easy, uh, but I would get a professional to give you some ideas about that. Just look in your yellow pages, find people that do water harvesting, put in cisterns, use the internet if you can't find them in your yellow pages. I guarantee you there's people in your area that do it, and uh, have them come out, look at the site, and 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 give them that idea and see what they do with it. Another question, um, remember Y2K when all the people that really weren't preppers freaked out because of all the news stories and went out and bought all kinds of crap? They didn't really understand why they were buying it, like generators and C-rations from World War II surplus that was still around back then, and um, or not even World War II, like Korean War surplus stuff and MREs and uh, all kinds of good stuff they went nuts buying it they bought gold they bought everything and then like um you know january february 2001 there were all these great deals on generators and stuff like that because people that bought it and didn't really know why they were buying it once y2k didn't happen needed their money back so they dumped it remember all that the guy says, could the same thing happen right after December 2012 for all these people that believe in 2012 the world is going to end because the Mayan calendar ends? And I won't go into 2012 today. Maybe someday I'll do a show on it. Um, maybe, but not so much as Y2K. Because the media, I don't think, is going to latch on to this one as well. There's not a lot of reality behind the 2012 hype. There was some reality beyond, beyond the Y2K hype. Um, A lot of the stuff that people thought was going to happen, like all the traffic lights shutting off or whatever, was just dumb. It wasn't going to happen. But the bigger fear was we'd have this deep economic recession that would come on by screwing the government up, by uh, everybody having their social security canceled because they have to be dead by now because they're 200 years old, or they're only one year old. And there are all these other little things that could have went wrong, they didn't, they could have had very long-term repercussions, that's why Y2K got real media play, don't think 2012 is going to get much other than um, the media making fun of these people, which is sad, but if you really believe that in 2012, the Earth is going to blow up or something, and if December 21st has any bigger significance than the 26,000 other times the galactic alignment has occurred, you've got a real issue. What we're going to see in 2012 is the the beginning of the end of an age. As we pass from the age of Pisces and the age of Aquarius. I won't go any deeper than that today, but it's an astrological event. There could be some really bad stuff happening in 2012. I don't think it has anything to do with Nostradamus or a Mayan calendar, and I don't think the people that believe in it will give up that easily and sell their stuff off the way that Joe Average did after Y2K. So keep your eyes on Craig's list uh, right after Christmas of 2012, but don't think you're going to have the kind of fire sale we did after Y2K y Last guy said, or not last guy, second last guy says, hey, how do I store, um, how do I not store all my stuff in one place? I've heard you say that before. But here's the deal. I have a one-story home. Can't afford a bug-out location. I've only got one place. Okay, let me clarify what I mean then, because I haven't been clear enough, I guess. What I mean is... You know how the media always wants to show a prepper and they want to, like, open up this room and that one room is stacked to the roof with all your stuff? I mean, don't have that room. Even if you have a one-story home, I mean, take five rooms and set aside some storage area in each room. Put 20% of your stuff in each room. Even in situations with a fire um, or other things like that, um, you're going to be a lot more redundant with your supplies. And make sure there's some food in each location. Location. There's some emergency supplies in each location. Keep some of your stuff at all times in your vehicles. All right, Whatever means that you have, break up your preps as best you can. That's what I'm saying there. Now, if you have a bug out location, yeah, keep some stuff there. If you have a storage shed, yeah, keep some stuff there. If you have a uh, an off-site storage shed, like something you rent and pay for, not just one on your own property, yeah, keep some stuff there. Use every system of redundancy uh, that you have available to you um, to, to, to keep things broken up. But don't think just because you have a single-story, three-bedroom house, you can't do it, too. All I'm saying is you know, put a little bit in every closet. Put a little bit under each bed. Mo- keep it spread out throughout the house, uh, especially with ammunition, firearms, things like that. Uh, we just had a really good forum member and moderator have a lot of his stuff stolen, a lot of his ammunition. Stolen. Um, when you have all your ammunition in one place, if somebody finds it, they find it all. All right, and it's just, a, and not, I'm not talking about you know the feds or the shock troops coming to, to confiscate it. I'm talking about the random thief, which is more likely. So that's what I mean when I say that. One last question a guy has for me he says: Given inflation, the economy going down the tubes, all these nations moving to create their own currencies, isn't saving cash for, for suckers? Isn't it dumb? If you save Cash, don't you have the the, the potential for all the value of your cash to go down to nothing? Would it be better to buy gold and silver and land and and, and vehicles, etc.? Yes and no. To do so in a way that diversifies your assets is smart. 10% of your savings in gold, 5% of your savings in silver. It's my personal recommendations, but you vary it as you want. But don't go putting 100% of your money in gold and silver. That is dumb because of the volatil- volatility of the market and the potential for loss. And then the need for liquidity sometimes it might not be there. All right, The bulk that it would create. All different types of things like that. Um, so, yeah, I think keeping 100% of your money in cash right now might be foolish, but I think keeping a lot of money in cash right now is not. Um, we've seen in other nations where they've gone through inflation, hyperinflation, having some money became even more important, especially for the few things that you didn't have, you didn't realize you needed before that occurred. Now... That takes things like Zimbabwe out of the equation, where you know you need a half a million Zimbabwe and whatever they are to buy a Coke now. But you know I don't see the U.S. dollar becoming that devalued, at least not overnight. So I think it makes sense to keep cash on hand, to keep some cash in the bank, to have money. Uh, and I think that if you believe that money is only for suckers, you're the one that's going to get hurt in the end. And I think we can take this too far. And again, I'll caution you, when you're listening to people that sell gold and silver for a living, and want to sell it to you at, in any way, shape, or form that they can, and say anything they can to convince you to buy their overpriced, numismatically valued coins, they point out the gold seizures you know, that FDR did and things like that, you know what, I'm not worried about the government seizing gold that I might own, because I'm not going to tell them I have it, Alright? How simple is that? I'm not going to go, hey, look, I have it. What happened? What people don't get about the gold seizures, at the time, gold coins were being spent in the economy every day. If you went in to buy $20 worth of stuff, it was very common in the 20s. You'd pull out a $20 gold piece and lay it on the counter. The clerk would pick it up and throw it into the cash register, and maybe if it was $19, hand you a silver dollar back alright it was currency at the time that is what the seizure uh, did was pull all of the gold that was being used as currency out the reason people keep gold today is so that it can be liquidated into a currency form not to run around and barter with gold bars you're not going to barter with gold bars you're going to convert it to the currency of choice at the time that's what it's for please remember that Um, when you making these considerations and you're thinking about what to do and then things like investing in vehicles and stuff that's fine as long as you're not using it as an excuse to blow money you shouldn't spend a healthy amount of cash in reserve right now. I'm telling you, it's important and it's going to become more important as we have more and more problems from this recession. Even if we get my projected recovery bubble, the other side of it's going to be really nasty. So no, I don't think saving cash is for fools. I think it's for ants. And remember, that's what this show's about, is converting you from uh, grasshopper into ant. Hopefully we've helped you do that a little bit more today. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler It really doesn't matter Cause it all gets spent